0: food people, it's Amanda, and today I'm sitting down with one of the most iconic bakers of our time. I think it's hard to imagine someone more beloved to the world of baking than Dory Greenspan. She's written 14 cookbooks over the span of three decades, she's developed thousands of recipes, and she has grown a huge internet following long before we even knew what influencers were. Oh, and she's also won five James Beard Awards. My first Dory book, as I call them, was Baking from My Home to Yours, which came out in 2006. It was a college graduation gift, and I remember baking from it constantly that first summer when I had no idea what adult life would bring. It was a source of pleasure for myself and everyone who was lucky enough to eat the things that I made, not that they were all successes, but Dory's recipes are so accessible, even to someone who is not a comfortable or confident baker. And her new book, Baking with Dory, is full of new instant classics. She's also known by many as the cookie queen. And since it's the holidays, that's what we're talking about today. In honor of her new book and the season, we're going to talk about the five cookies that Dory would put in her hypothetical cookie gift box. And then we're going to check in with senior commerce editor Mackenzie Chung-Fagan to get a gift guide for all of the choosiest people on your list. But first, let's talk to the cookie queen herself, Dori Greenspan. Hi, Dori.
1: Welcome to the show. What an introduction, Amanda. Thank you. I'm a little overcome. (laughs) That was so sweet. I love that you got baking from my home to yours when you graduated from college.
0: It was a gift from another food person and devoted baker of yours, so it was a really personal gift, and it I really just associated with that time in my life, so it holds a dear
1: spot That makes me. me so happy. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm excited to talk to you about this new book, and we're going to get into your holiday cookie box in a second because I know that's something on a lot of people's minds right now, but I have a few questions first. You have been writing cookbooks for about three decades now, and this is your 14th. How would you describe how you've changed as a baker and a cook over the last 30 years?
1: You know, I really only started to think about how I've changed. With this book, you would think I would (laughs) have—I might have looked back a little sooner, but I didn't. When I worked with Julia Child—I love saying that—when I worked with Julia Child, (laughs) when I worked with Julia, she once said that we made such a great team because we were just a pair of home bakers— Mm. And she really did think of herself as a home baker, and I am a home baker. But I feel as I look at this book and my work and what I've been making for family and friends over the past few years, everything seems simpler. Everything seems to depend on the ingredients, the texture, and the little bit of surprise that I can pop into each recipe.
0: Yeah, I think that's a nice metaphor for
1: life. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) if only it were that simple, Amanda.
0: (laughs) What's the process like for you when you're sitting down to develop a new recipe? Is there a process or is it kind of different every time?
1: I always tease and say, I look like the world's most organized person because my hair is so short that it gives me that, oh, you must be organized. But I was born without that gene. And so (laughs) I kind of, bake and create on a whim. So I'm talking to you from my kitchen, which is also my office in the dining room. I'll be sitting at my desk and I'll be writing. I'll be working at something and I'll think, oh, I have an idea. And then I'll move to the kitchen and I'll start working. It's often an idea about an ingredient. Sometimes Mm. it's something that I've seen that kind of just plays in my mind. So I work with pencil and paper In a notebook, recipes are so, they demand a precision that I often think I don't have, but that somehow Mm. I can muster (laughs) for for a recipe. People are depending on recipes to work. And I think there's really only one reason to write a recipe, and that's to help people be successful, you know? Yeah, yeah. Every recipe that goes out into the world goes out with a little message that says, bake it. You can do it. It's going to be great. You'll love it. Bake it and share it. I mean, there's like this little cheerleading note (laughs) that goes out with a recipe.
0: You do have a really approachable way of talking about the recipes and even the way you give people permission to play around or do things a little differently and even the naming of the recipes. I was wondering, do you come up with all of the names yourself or does anyone help you
1: with that? Those are mine. I have to <laughs> I have to stop myself from having every recipe title be an alliteration. I'm yeah, I just <laughs> it's you know, everyone needs an editor, but I need one who's especially sensitive to alliteration because I would I would name everything kind of either rhymey or cute. But no, I love yeah. sometimes All you can do for a recipe name is list the ingredients that are important.
0: Or that there's a story behind, like, is it the Park Avenue brownies in this Uh, book that you said your husband calls them that? (laughs) Well, he
1: did name them because (laughs) (laughs) they were as thin and chic as people on Park Avenue. I think that was what he said. (laughs) Certainly as thin because I had made them and they were thinner than I had originally Thought they they just baked thinner. And I looked at them and I was disappointed. I thought, okay, this is back to the notebook. But then I tasted them and they were so good. And I said to my husband, Michael, we've been married forever. I said to him, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you think? And he said, well, they're just right. And that's when he came up with, I said, but they're thin. And he said, so are the women on Park Avenue. (laughs) <laughs> a generalization, I know, but... Yeah. So let's talk more about
0: Baking with Dory. What in your mind makes this book special or
1: different from um, the last 13? It's such a good question, and it's something I didn't think about until it was over. The book started out to be all savory.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: I had had a cheddar scone in Santa Barbara, I put it on Instagram because, of course, one does, right? <laughs> and a friend of mine sent me a message and said, you should write a savory baking book. And I got that that tingle, that goosebumpy feeling like, okay, this is a great idea. And that's what I proposed, and that's what my editor and I thought we were working on. But the more I worked on the book, the sweeter it got. And so I had an idea to do a book I had never done before, And then Mm -hmm. it kind of inched its way into sweet. And it was really only when it was finished. I looked at it and thought, oh, I've written an all-purpose baking book. I've written a book that has a breakfast section. I haven't had a breakfast section since the book you got for graduation. Mm. And it takes you all through the day. There's that savory section called salty side up. There were little treats to have at the end of the day. I'd written an all-purpose morning to midnight book, and I really had never written one before.
0: Do you think that was reflective of the way you were eating or thinking about food in this sort of
1: all-day way? I Amanda, I think it was a mixture of both. So my husband's a bread baker, and he keeps a sourdough alive and has for years. He makes and miche and baguette. And I don't bake all that much bread, but I love to bake bread. And the breads that I bake are kind of old-fashioned pan breads. So a white bread that's great for toast or sandwiches. A raisin, I love raisin bread. I love raisins. Sorry, I know there are haters out there, but I love raisins. And brioche, which I adore. And this is really the first time in 15 years that I've had the chance to do that.
0: Hmm, well, we should probably do a breadbasket episode in the future, maybe with you and your husband. But let's segue into cookies. You did a whole cookbook on cookies a few years ago, and you're unofficially or maybe officially crowned as the cookie queen. Why do you think, out of all of your recipes, you are known for cookies the
1: most? Is it because I'm not the only person in the world who really, really loves cookies? Yeah. Maybe, probably. maybe. I mean, um, so when I was working on the cookie book, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to run out of ideas. I mean, all cookies, and there, I think there are 200 recipes in the book. Wow. But I found that the more I concentrated on this one subject, the more ideas I had. The cookies just Mm -hmm. lend themselves to variation. I've made a whole collection of cocktail cookies, cookies that were meant to be had with wine or with whiskey or breakfast cookies. They just have such enormous possibility, and I love them. And I love that the reason to bake is to share. We very rarely bake just for ourselves. And we make cookies in batches we make them to share. And so there's something lovely about why we bake cookies.
0: I think the appeal of uh, Bon Appetit's annual cookie section in December, it's always one of the most popular with our readers. And I think because people think about the holidays as this time of gift giving and sharing and cookies are such a fun, approachable, universally beloved thing to share. Now, I'm curious, do you have a cookie box ritual around the holidays?
1: So I've done cookie boxes, but to say a tradition or a ritual, it's rare that I do the same thing twice. Sadly, if you like one of my cookies and expect to get it again next year, mm, you might not. (laughs) Well, if you ask me nicely, I might, but I've given cookie boxes. I've given cookies. I've given rolls of dough. Yeah, when I was growing up, I lived
0: in a very Italian-American neighborhood full of old Italian grannies. And our family always got at least, gosh, three or four cookie boxes full of the amaretto and all of the little Italian delicacies. But unfortunately, I would say those grannies were not the most careful bakers, and a lot of them were a bit dry. So that's why I'm so excited to talk to you about these because they sound infinitely more appealing.
1: <laughs> I'm laughing because I have friends who bake hundreds of hundreds of cookies to be boxed at holiday time. And yeah. the problem is always the same. When do you start? Uh, when do you take them out? Are they going to keep for the time that it takes to pack them off and often send them off? You know, if they come too early, you could end up with dry cookies. The trick is to choose cookies that are good keepers, cookies that will hold up, cookies that taste Mm -hmm. good when they're not as moist as they were when you first got them, and for the baker, cookies that you can work on ahead of time so that by the time all your cookies are baked, you still love them and the people you're giving them (laughs) to.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, before we dive into the cookies themselves, do you have any advice for our audience on putting together a beautiful cookie box?
1: A box would be prettier when all of the cookies are not the same. It's harder to pack, Mm -hmm. but it looks so pretty that way. Mm -hmm. You want cookies that have a range of flavors, or sometimes I like a selection that's all white or all chocolate, mostly I think the best advice is to just make what you love. Make the cookies you love and then share them.
0: And save some for yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ah. So let's dive right in. I want to hear about the cookies that you would put in your hypothetical cookie box. Where would you like to start?
1: I can't imagine making a cookie box without this cookie that I'm going to talk about, but I also know that my friends would be very disappointed if it didn't appear. And that's the (laughs) World Peace Cookie. Okay, the classic. Well, this year I'm not making the classic. So in your graduation present, in Baking from My Home to Yours, there's the World Peace Cookie. And you asked about naming cookies. That cookie was named by a neighbor of mine. The cookie had been in my book, Paris Sweets, under the name Corova cookie. And the recipe was mm-hmm. given to me by Pierre Hermet, and I wrote all about it. And I meet Richard in the elevator and he says, you know that cookie with that name I can never remember. <sighs> we don't call, it, yeah, we don't call it that in our house. We call it the World Peace Cookie because, well, you know, if everyone in the world had this cookie, peace would reign. And so the name was just so good that I had to publish the recipe again. And so that was, I've had that recipe for over 20 years. I've never changed it. It's too good. It's perfect. Yeah. But in Baking with Dory, I changed it because my friend Charlotte Druckmann asked me to make a cookie for her book, Women on Food. I thought about what she wanted and I said, no. I said, I can't do it. I said, no, I'm not going to change the World Peace cookie. No. And then it kept playing in my head. And I thought, what if I took ingredients, if I could even imagine ingredients that matched characteristics in women Wow. that I admire in women, I admire. And so I added rye flour to the dough for earthiness, for groundedness, for feet on the ground. Yes sensibleness. The Virgos. Sensi- of the Scorp- Virgos. Yeah. I'm not a Virgo. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> Are Scorpio. you? Oh, Dory, I'm surprised. I know everyone is. Deep inside, there's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> a cookie monster. <laughs> a cookie monster. <laughs> so yes, rye flour for the Virgos. I put cocoa nibs in for strength. Mm. I put cayenne pepper in or piment d'espelette, for that kind of unpredictability, that little pop of I don't know what surprise is coming next. Mm. And then I put in freeze-dried raspberries for verve, for that Mm -hmm. kind of sassiness. And Mm. it was an interesting exercise to try and find a match of characteristics to ingredients. But I wouldn't have done it if the cookie weren't so delicious. It's so good.
0: Okay, let's hear about The next cookie, what's going to go alongside the World Peace 2.0? So
1: I think I'm going to stake in France. Okay. So I was so excited when I made this cookie for the book. It's long and all in C's. Caramel Crunch Chocolate Chunklet Cookies. Long name. Yes. So I love this name. But it does describe the cookie, except there's no caramel in it. So this is a cookie that's a little like a shortbread and a little like a chocolate chip cookie. So I call it the chocolate chip cookie that had a brief visit to France. Studied abroad (laughs) in France. (laughs) Wow, great. Where were you when I needed you? That would have been great in the book, (laughs) the chocolate chip cookie that studied abroad in France. So it's again, a kind of sable, a shortbread. It has pieces of chocolate in it and it has walnuts, but I bake these in a muffin tin. So when they bake, the bottom and the sides get really caramelly. So Mm. the butter gets nutty. The sugar gets more like caramel, even though it's granulated sugar. There's no brown sugar in it. And the cookies look so pretty. So I don't care whether your World Peace Cookies 2.0 are round or not, and you shouldn't either. These, no one has to care about them. They're always perfect. The muffin tin makes them perfect. So, what types of cookies can you use a muffin
0: tin for, and what kinds are not so good for that?
1: So, cookies that have leavening don't often work well. They become Mm -hmm. concave because they're trying. I took science for poets, so I'm not sure. I'm (laughs) I'm not sure I'm getting this right. They just kind of like. (laughs) curl up the sides and don't. Yeah. yeah. So when I decided to bake cookies and rings and then in muffin tins, I changed a lot of the recipes that I had used before. But this cookie, let me say it again, the caramel crunch chocolate chocolate cookies was created specifically to be made in a muffin tin.
0: Yes. These are on tea.com right now oh, if great. you want to go make them, which you definitely should to all of our listeners. Okay. If you're feeling a sugar rush, that's great. I am too. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, we're going to add Dory's final three cookies to the box. And then we'll get into those gift guide recommendations from Mackenzie Chung Fagan. I'm not going to say too much about them, but I will give you three words. Mortadella pool float. Please stick around. Okay, where should we go next? Are we staying stateside? Are we continuing to travel?
1: Let's travel a little bit. Let's go to New Zealand. So Michael and I were in New Zealand and we drove, I don't know how long we were in the car. We were going to see a lake. The lake was gorgeous. But what I remember most was the reward at the end, which was a flapjack and I had no idea what a flapjack was. To me, it was a pancake. Yeah, same. It's not a pancake. It's not a pancake. It's a fabulous cookie. And (gasps) so we were in Mrs. Woolley's General Store, which was the only thing at the end of the road. We went in to get ice cream. Near the ice cream counter, there was a cookie. It looked like an energy bar or a granola Mm. bar. It had a lot of oats, and it was called a flapjack. I bought it. I ate it. I didn't get ice cream that day because the cookie fascinated me so. I said, do you think you could give me the recipe for this? And out came the baker. And she gave me the recipe. She told me, you know, how she made it. And then as soon as we left, the whole rest of the time that we were in New Zealand, all I saw were flapjacks.
0: And did you try them? Did you sample them all over New Zealand?
1: what do you think? Of course I did.
0: <laughs> you had to for research.
1: That's right. Of course I did. And then when I got home, I started making flapjacks. And I, the recipe that's in Baking with Dory is kind of a compilation of all those flapjacks that I sampled. So the one I had in Glenorchy was actually quite plain, but I added dried fruit I added ginger. Sometimes I use crystallized ginger, you know, the sliced sugar Mm -hmm. top ginger, sometimes Mm -hmm. stem ginger, and coconut too. It's a great cookie, and it would be great in any cookie box because it's chewy, but it's still delicious when it gets a little dry. And so it's a really good keeper. The coconut keeps it moist. The dried fruit keeps it moist. And it's unexpected.
0: Yes. I want your permission to eat this one for breakfast.
1: Permission granted.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So, Dory, we've got the world-famous World Peace 2.0 cookies. We've got the Caramel Crunch Chocolate Chunklet, the four Cs. And we've got the flapjacks. So we've got room in our box for two more. What is next?
1: So I want a cookie that's not traditional in a cookie box. I want to put a biscotti in there.
0: Please convince me on biscotti because that's one that I've had too many old Italian granny too dry versions of.
1: Oh, perhaps. Were yours flavored with anise? They were very anise, yes. Yeah. So you might like these. These are made with cornmeal and cocoa. Mm. So they have chocolate. They have chopped chocolate or chocolate chips, and they have sliced almonds. So it's like crunch on top of crunch on top of crunch with a lot of flavor. And if you wanted to, you could dip them in chocolate.
0: Yeah. I love the dip too. It looks beautiful in the book. I love
1: that they're dark. They're really dark because of the cocoa. And then you see the little lines from the almonds. They're very pretty.
0: Yeah. I see cornmeal in A lot of biscotti recipes, what does the cornmeal add in terms of flavor or texture? Crunch, crunch, crunch. More crunch, extra crunch. crunch. And you do give good instructions here on how to know when they're done. And I think that's why maybe I've had a lot of overly dry biscotti, because it seems they're meant to be hard, but not completely hard when they're actually done out of the oven. What's the texture you're looking for with these?
1: When I first started making biscotti I thought oh they're just you could I could leave them in there forever it doesn't make any difference but actually it does I love to be able to give readers bakers cooks a lot of visual clues or a lot of ways of seeing touching knowing that something is done other than the time but with biscotti that's kind of hard so I tell you to bake them for a second time for fifteen minutes. That should be it.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to attempt them because I want my mind to be changed about biscotti. And if anyone can do it, Dori, it's you,
1: Amanda. It would make me so happy to be the one who changes your mind. Let me know.
0: All right, so we have room for we have room for one more. What is it going to be? So
1: we're missing spice, mm. and I want the iced spiced hermit cookies.
0: Ooh, I saw these in the book. Tell us about the origins of these.
1: Well, it's a New England cookie. And I've heard the name, I've seen the recipes for years, and I had never made one. And (laughs) the inspiration to finally make a hermit was my local supermarket. The bakery is right next to the cheese refrigerator. And one day I looked at them and thought, this is just my kind of cookie. Yeah. And so I went home and made hermits and I've been making them ever since. They're almost like a biscotti, but not second baked. So you make the dough and you shape it into a log, bake it and it spreads. And then you cut it and that's it.
0: Right. Mm. You let it cool and
1: you cut it. There's no second bake, but my version is really spicy. And I love that. And it's chewy. And I put a little bit of icing on it. I put dried fruit in it. Anytime you have dried fruit, it can be anything. If I say raisins, you can put cranberries. I mean, you can just play with it. Little snip bits of apricots or figs. And where does the spice come from? Is it the black pepper and the ginger? It's the ginger. It's nutmeg, cinnamon. Yes, and black pepper. And the black pepper is really noticeable Mm. and surprising.
0: So these are new to me, even though I also grew up in New England. I'm looking out for them now when I go visit my parents in New England to see if I can find them.
1: I think this is an unexpected selection of cookies. There are no sprinkles. There's no piping. (laughs) Yeah. But each cookie, I think, is beautiful on their own. And together, I think they make happiness. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think they do.
0: So, I hate to even ask you this, but if you had to pick a favorite of this bunch,
1: could you even do it? You know, I was liking you before this.
0: <laughs> now the Scorpio's coming out.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, no, I can't. I love these. I love them singly and I love them together. And I'm not answering your question.
0: <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> Also, we just have to say, you've had such a great relationship with your fans ever since the online community Tuesdays with Dory sprung up in 2008, and that was when I first discovered your books and started cooking along, and you've sort of moved on to every platform on the internet as it's emerged, which is really impressive. I can't even say I've done that. And now you have this newsletter, XOXO Dory, right?
1: Yeah, it's dorygreenspan.bulletin.com, and I'm doing it twice a week. Wow. And I'm loving it. Yeah. Recipes, tips, stories, travel. And you
0: do recipe swaps sometimes, right, with recipes from I other... love doing
1: that. Other people's recipes love doing that.
0: Well, I have already dog-eared and marked up my copy of Baking with Dory with all the recipes I cannot wait to try and share. This book is a great gift to any baker in your life or aspiring baker or college graduate. Dori, thank you so much for writing it and for coming on the show today.
1: Amanda, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Bake some cookies. Okay,
0: now that our cookie boxes are completely stuffed, we are going to stash them away and think about some non-cookie gift ideas. I know, there are such things. I have a couple people on my list who are really hard to shop for every year. They know who they are. So to answer some of our questions about the best gifts for those choosy food people, we're going to talk to Senior Commerce Editor Mackenzie Chung-Fagan. Mackenzie, welcome back to the podcast. Please help us find the things for those impossible-to-please people we're shopping for this season.
2: I can do that. That is literally my job.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we have a lot of gift guides on Bon Appetit. Why don't you first just walk listeners through all the categories of gifting that we're helping folks out with this year.
2: Oh yeah, we have gifts for all of the food people in your life. We have budget gifts for like your dog walker or the person who you've been on two dates with. It's like a little bit too soon to get them something super nice, but you need to get them something. We have gift guide for sustainably minded cooks to help eliminate single-use plastic in the kitchen. We have some food ornaments that are really fun, great little like secret santa office gifts maybe for the person who you've only met on Zoom. We have gifts for bakers. We have the best cook- cookbooks of the year written by Alex Beggs. Those always make wonderful presents. And then we kind of have like the bigger ticket items for people who need a capital G gift.
0: That's a lot of inspiration. I'm also laughing imagining a secret Santa happening over Zoom where you just kind of like show the person the thing that you got them.
2: Totally. (laughs) And then they act
0: really surprised. Thank you so much, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Let's start in a really practical place because I know there's a lot of people who want to get something that they know their loved one is going to use again and again, maybe a heirloom piece or just something to complement their kitchen. Yeah.
2: We have a lot of really nice pieces of cookware that are both functional and really beautiful. We have a Dutch oven from Belgian brand Cerax that is really stunning. So if you know somebody in your life who doesn't have a Dutch oven, that's a great option. But um, I would recommend the Heston Nanobond Titanium Sauté Pan for somebody who needs to upgrade their kitchen a little bit. This is not a cheap pan, okay? So it's on sale right now for, I think, like $240. And I'm going to recommend this for your grandma who already has a nice set of cookware but maybe it needs an upgrade. And maybe she watches YouTube and she's like, what's that nice man Chris Morocco up to? <laughs> because this is Chris Morocco's absolute favorite pan, which is saying something. Oh, yeah. You know how many pans he tests. So this is a
0: really extremely sturdy, durable, stainless steel pan. Yeah, Chris Morocco doesn't dally in toss-away cookware. So if he's using it, it's definitely worth the investment for something you're going to keep forever. Not a bad price. He says the thing is indestructible. Okay, let's go in the entire opposite direction. What is the silliest food gift on our lists this year, in your opinion? I really love
2: this mortadella pool float that we
0: put on the list. <laughs> okay, please explain. Is there meat involved in this pool float?
2: I mean, there can be if you want there to be. Like, you can eat
0: mortadella while floating on your pool on this pool float. Okay, that definitely checks the silly box. Who would you get this pool float for? For myself. (laughs) I
2: mean, I don't have a (laughs) pool. But, like, I want this so badly. First step, get a pool. Second step, get the mortadella pool float. Right. I don't know. I put this on the gift guide for kids who love to cook. I can see, like, a very specific type of child really enjoying this. (laughs) But also, I think that this would be great for, like, your best friend who moved to L.A. She's living that California lifestyle. She has a pool. But in her heart, she's still a Jersey
0: girl. Oh, oh my God. Amazing. All right. Let's touch on a sustainable item. I know my mom has gotten really into making some like really sustainable swaps in the kitchen, which I'm all about. One thing that she still does, which it's good to reuse your plastic bags, but we have like this endless pile of wet Ziplocs sitting on the dish rack at all times.
2: I am aware. Yes. Some of those Ziplocs date from the nineties, certainly. Like they're just opaque at this point. So help my mom out. I'm going to recommend beeswax wrap, which is, if you haven't seen this, it's cotton and it's coated in a thin layer of beeswax. So instead of plastic wrap or a Ziploc bag, um, it's really good for wrapping cheese. You just wrap it around your bowl, around the food item that you want to preserve, and the warmth of your hands melts the beeswax just a little bit and makes it sticky. So it'll stick to itself. You can wash it, reuse it multiple times before you have to get rid of it. And then when you do want to get rid of it, eventually it's biodegradable because it's just natural fibers in beeswax. So that's a really easy swap to make, but the one that we're recommending is a specific brand of beeswax wraps from Supra and because they are beautiful. They're from a person who is a printmaker and designer. There's one that has fruit on it. There's one that's more graphic
0: print. Yeah, they are so beautiful. And I remember using one back in the BA office, in-office days. I would wrap my sandwich in them, and they really are remarkably sturdy. You don't want to rinse them in boiling hot water either,
2: because that will take the beeswax off but really they just need a quick little rinse. And these are really affordable too. They're $24 for a three pack. Great. So they check the budget
0: list and the sustainable list. Correct. Okay. There's some really intriguing food gifts, actual food gifts, not just mortadella, pool float type food gifts. What's your favorite food gift on the list? One that's really giftable is this set
2: of Pura matcha, salsa machas. Salsa machas are Mexican condiments. They're oil-based and there's obviously chilies, but often there's also nuts or seeds. Sometimes there's fruits in them. And this set of three varieties is from Masayenda, which is a masa company. And their salsa matchas are absolutely delicious there's a guajillo cranberry and hazelnut variety which is so good and also i think is very seasonal would be a great addition to a holiday table but my favorite is the Arbol Nori and Sesame blend, which is also a little bit Japanese inspired and is so good. I put it on everything.
0: Yes. I had these this past year too, and I was slowly working my way through them because I liked them so much. I didn't want to use them up. If you love chili crisp, you will love salsa matcha if you haven't had it already. And these varieties are so distinct, and I love how they aren't overly spicy. Like you really get all of the nuances of the flavors, like the cranberry and the hazelnut and the textures are just awesome too. Totally, yeah. There's a
2: real earthiness to a lot of them. And as you said, the the texture and the crunch, it really goes beyond just adding like a spicy flavor component to into a whole textural dimension. Oh, textural dimension, love it. Podcast spinoff title.
0: <laughs> okay, let's talk about some countertop Appliances because it's been a big year for countertop appliances. We did a whole episode about the air fryer. If you want one, you should get one and you can go online and see our top picks. But what's another trending countertop appliance that is on our list this year?
2: I'm just going to preface this by saying it's expensive, but it's the holidays and it's going to be on sale. So the GE Profile Opal Nugget Ice Maker, I was not aware of the whole good ice trend. I'm not from parts of the country where people are obsessed with the good ice. So I didn't know about the good ice before this started trending on TikTok. Do you know about
0: nugget ice? So I am a TikTok person and this hadn't crossed my algorithm until we wrote about it. Go watch some Nugget Ice videos. For those of you who don't know,
2: Nugget Ice is also known as pellet ice, um, or the good ice, you can just call it that as well. And it's the type of ice that's a little bit crunchy. So you might get it in a hospital, or a Chick-fil-A, or Sonic. And people are obsessed with this ice. Like people go through the Sonic drive-thru and they just buy a five pound bag of ice and call it a day. But you can have it at home anytime you want with the GE Profile Opal Nugget Ice Maker. And normally this retails for like $570, but you're going to be able to find it on sale this holiday season. And if you know somebody who is into the good eyes, this is going to make their whole damn year if you buy them this for the holidays.
0: OK, so before I let you go, we didn't touch on cookbooks yet, and I think that's a huge category uh, for, for gifting. Is there one book that you would recommend if you had to pick one? Oh man. Warm I know. Sorry. Up. I'm springing this on you. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's no secret that we are Hetty McKinnon fans, both at this podcast specifically and BA in general. We love you, Hedy. Yes. So maybe Hetty's To Asia With Love would be a great cookbook to give to someone this year.
0: It looks so good. And if you need further proof beyond our endorsement. Just look at Hedy's Instagram these days. It's full of recipes from the book. And her recipes are just also makeable. They're just so unintimidating. And she does a great job of kind of talking you through every step of the way. That's a great one. And if you need more suggestions,
2: again, we have a whole cookbook gift guide written by Alex Beggs on the best cookbooks of the year. They also make
0: excellent gifts. Thank you to Dory Greenspan for being the cookie queen we all need in our lives and for joining us on the show today. And thanks also to Mackenzie Chung-Fagan for filling our holiday gift bags with the things for all types of people. To try out the Iced Spiced Hermits and the Caramel Crunch Chocolate Chunklet Cookies, go to bonapetite.com or check out the links in our show notes. And be sure to buy Dory's book, Baking with Dory, for the holidays. To follow Dory online, she's on Instagram at her name, Dory Greenspan, and sign up for her new twice a week newsletter, XOXO Dory, through the link in our show notes. And give Mackenzie a follow as well. She's on Instagram at Mackenzie Chung Fagan. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer, Ginny Bloom is our showrunner, Madison Lusby is our production manager, and Morgan Foos and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty, and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Sav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro, and I'll see you next week.